just as much from the kids' stories as the kids can. There's still a lot to be learned there. Uh, so I'm going to share with you a little bit about what we're actually going to talk about today, and uh, that is the Great Commission. We had, This past month, we started out with Jesus' crucifixion, and then we talked about his resurrection, and then about a couple... Before Andy comes up, I'm going to play a song for you guys. It's called Nobody. That's a good message of how we're supposed to spread things. You know, who am I that God would use me, but he has chosen each and every one of us. Definitely you. I may not be looking at you, but I'm saying this to you. He picked you to go out and tell his gospel to a neighbor, to a friend, to an enemy, pray for people. And that's what we're called to do is to go out and tell people about him. This is called Nobody. Soul. And 
that song doesn't get you ready, I, I don't know what will. It is so good to see everybody again. Uh, this is week two. I'm back from quarantine, so I am still energized. We had coffee, so I just want to make this announcement that, like, starting today and uh, here on forward, hopefully my plan is to be here by 8.15 every Sunday morning with coffee brewed. I was a little late this morning, but with coffee brewed and just ready to fellowship with you guys. So if you want to come, we had a good turnout this morning, impromptu, but uh, we had a great turnout. So you are more than welcome. Even if you don't like coffee, you are not alone. There are other people who didn't drink the stuff and uh, maybe we'll expand and have something else for you non-coffee drinkers. But right now, you'll have to bring something else if you want something else. But uh, 8.15 Sunday mornings, we're just going to meet in the fellowship hall and just enjoy each other's company. It was a blast. I had so much fun just sitting around talking this morning with everybody. And uh, I hope that this is a highlight of your week this morning. I hope Sundays. I mean, I think that really what we need to do is we need to start changing our mind about stuff because I remember growing up where Sundays were the end of the week. It was like, oh, after Sunday, I have to go back to school. So really my weekday started, or my week started on Mondays. And it was like Sunday was to recap everything, and it's the last thing that I'm going to do, and I'll go to church, and it's something that I'm going to go do. I'm going to go do church at the building. And I hope that we can start just kind of retraining our minds about what this really is. Not just Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. Really, who we are called to be. That coming together. Do you realize every Sunday we get to come together, and I pray you are not hearing me speak, but every Sunday we get to come together and we get to hear God's word proclaimed. I mean, in America, that is something we take for granted a lot. It, we, we come up with the mentality of, oh, we have something else that we can do. And I'm not trying to knock on you if you've missed Sunday mornings or anything like that. That is not, this is not me trying to put guilt or condemn you or anything. But it's where we get to like, well, we overslept or we had stuff going on. Whereas guys, we get to come together. This is something special, right? Do we believe that? 
I mean, we get to come together and open this word, the living and active word of God, and we get to be in it together. There are other nations who would love to have what we have where they could openly read God's word and be like, man, we don't have to worry about persecution. We don't have to worry about getting kicked out of our home or kicked out of our country. We don't have to worry about death. They would love for that. And we have that. And it's almost becoming a burden to us to where it's like, yeah, we have that. It's another thing that we're going to do. It's another thing that's going to happen on Sunday, the last day of the weekend. And then it means, oh man, church means we have to start gearing up and getting ready for work again. Let's change our mind about church. I'm excited about this. I love being here with you guys. I love being in God's word. I mean, I get to be the one that gets to be up here talking. So some of you are like, yeah, I get a really good nap during that time. Enjoy your nap. I hope my voice is soothing and I hope God speaks to you during that time. But we get to be together and open up God's word. I mean, that is something special. So before we go any further, can we just take a moment and pray? Because I think God needs to work on our hearts. He's got to work on my heart. I'll tell you, I have realized the government is not my biggest problem. My heart is my biggest problem. It has been revealed to me that I have a sinful, hardened heart, and I need God to speak to me. So can we just open up our hearts? Can we just take a moment, pray to God, and just pray that he soften our hearts? I, I ask, God, come into our lives. God, we know you are present. We know you are here, but God, we can put up walls. God, we can already be coming up with, I got this to do. I got this going on this week. I have to talk to this person. I have to deal with this. God, we can have so many things, even though we are here in body, our minds can be somewhere else. And so God, I just pray, help us capture our thoughts Help us focus them on you as we sang. May we turn our eyes to you in this time. And God, may we redefine what it is to be part of the church and what it is to even come here where we get excited, where we are energized, where we see this as the fuel that we need to make it through the rest of the week. And so God, we need you. God, we need you now more than ever. And we need you in the next minute more than ever. God, may we have a constant desire and a constant just uh, dependence on you. So as we get ready to just open up your word, as we get ready to see what you have to say, speak to our hearts and help us be present here and now, not just in body, but in mind as well. Because God, you are so deserving. And so I just pray that as we read your word, it is your word that is spoken. And I just pray that we hear what you have to say. We love you so much. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're, we're almost to the end of 2020. Some people are like, amen, 2020 is almost over. It's been a nightmare of a year. I don't think it's going to stop at 2021. I don't think January 1st, it's going to be like new year. But you know, there's the saying new year, new me. I mean, how many of you honestly made a new year's resolution? Go ahead and raise your hands. Like let's accountability time. Really? I'm like the only one with my hand raised. This is horrible. All right. We got a couple other brave souls that are like, all right, I guess, man, you guys are just, I don't know. So, all right, I made a New Year's resolution. I've made multiple New Year's resolutions every New Year. So I was going to say now, keep your hand raised if you have 
kept up with that New Year's resolution, and my hand would go down. Mine was to quit coffee, and I made that New Year's resolution. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I made that New Year's resolution January 1st. I had to remake it January 2nd. (laughs) Pretty much every single day, I have quit coffee 12 times this year, and we see how far that's going me. But I also made a New Year's resolution to work out. I make that resolution every year. I'm going to lift more. I'm going to lift harder. I started that like when I was uh, in high school, I had a lot of um, uh, self-image complications. That's not the right word, but uh, I had a lot of problems with just like looking at myself and being like, like not happy with what I saw in the mirror. Masks have become a benefit for me because nobody sees my face. It's like I can wear a hoodie, a mask, and glasses, and I can sneak through, and nobody knows, but people still know. Anyways, I digress. I told you I'm happy to be here with you guys. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, anyways, But so I always made these resolutions. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get fit. I even, when I was living in Coffeeville, I joined gyms multiple times a year because it was always like, all right, January 1st, they have that special gyms. They get you. It's like, hey, your first month is free, but you have to pay for like a six month uh program or subscription or whatever, and it's like sweet one month free. So I would go sign up and I would be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work out. I literally, no lie, would sign up. I'd get my key. I would leave. I'd come back one time, check in. I would do one set of bench press. I'm good. I feel the burn already. I'm going home. And I would never return. I did that four times in one year. It was like, I'm going to join a gym because this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to push through. This time I'm actually going to be a part of the gym and I would be motivated for one set and then the burn would kick in and I'd be like, I'm done. I'm not going anymore. And I see that there's a correlation with that where we're like so excited. It's like, I'm a part of this gym. I'm a part of something. And then it's like, all right, that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I'm done and I'm not going to go anymore. There's an old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I believe that's true. If you want to get somewhere fast, go alone. I mean, you'll get there lickety split, but if you really want to have the endurance, if you really want to go somewhere far, It requires a group. It requires a tribe. It requires a community of close people who are going to help you in that sense. So there was an article that was written, and it was by the Babylon Bee, which it's satire. So this is not a true article, but it talked about this local man named Tim Rubido, and he refused to join a local gym. He claimed instead that his membership in the invisible universal gym should be enough to get him in shape. Yeah, I'm not really into the whole organized fitness thing, he told reporters, stating that he's been burned a few times by gyms that didn't cater to his every whim. I'm into fitness. I'm just not religious about it. He also launched into a long diatribe about the hypocrisy of other people he sees at the gym who were working out but aren't perfectly fit yet. That really turned me off of the whole institutional exercise thing. It's just not for me. Rubido states that he simply exercises on his own whenever he feels like it, with no discipline, routine, or partners to keep him accountable. Nature is my gym. 
At publishing time, sources have been able to confirm Rubido has not exercised in 14 years. And it's like, that is very true. Like I tried that approach in a gym and now I have a group of guys who I work out with in the mornings and if I sleep in, I'm getting text messages. Wake up! Sometimes the gym is at my house and they come knocking on my door almost. And so it's like, I got to get up because there are people waiting on me. There are people expecting me to be there. But again, we're not talking about actually a gym anymore. In that article, we weren't just talking about, hey, this universal gym where I can be a part of something universally, but I don't actually have to go and get committed to anything. Instead, that article was very much talking about the church. That so often we can get in the mindset of, well, God is with me everywhere I go, so I don't have to go be with those people. I don't have to go sit there and be among other believers. I can listen to a sermon while sitting in the deer stand. I can go while driving, hear a message, and I don't need the accountability. I don't need other people in my life. And again, if you want to get somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to actually see it through this entire long thing that we call life and being accountable to God and living according to his word, go together. Because we need other people in our life. And so we're going to start this new series. And it's called Flipping the Switch. We're going to take a break from our Genesis and our Through the Bible series, and we're going to go through this Flipping the Switch. Because my goal in this is for us to flip the switch in our heads about what it is to be a part of the family of God. Not a universal family where nobody knows what I'm going through. Because I I mentioned this last week, when I was on quarantine, I was not able to be here. I was not able to have people checking in on me in a physical presence. And I went to dark places because we are not made to do life alone. What is the second highest penalty that the American government has decided this is what we can give our criminals? The number one penalty is death. They'll take your life. The second highest penalty they can give somebody is solitary confinement. To isolate somebody from everybody else. They, our government actually realizes, even though these guys are locked away in prison, a far harsher punishment is to get them away from everybody else. To have them live completely isolated from anybody else. We're not made to do life alone. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and flip the switch in our minds, which we need God to do it, about what it is to be a part of what we call the church. And so these are things that we here, the elders and I, have come together and said as a body of believers at Center Christian Church, these are what we are going to pursue. These are what we're going to encourage you guys to be a part of. These are what we're going to encourage you guys to live your lives for. Because these are what is coming out of God's word. This is not my view of what being a part of a church is, but what God says being a part of the church is. Because Paul... His very words, when he is describing the church, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he is telling them, you guys are not individual members of nothing, but instead you are a part of a body. You come together to make up a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. 
so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Jump into verse 24. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, he brings it home. He says, you are the body of Christ. You compose that body. You can't say, well, I'm not important enough, so I'm just going to chop myself off and segregate over here. Try cutting off a finger and seeing if it survives on its own. It doesn't. It gets gangrene. Actually, it dies. I mean, it just falls apart. We were not made to isolate or to separate ourselves from the body. But instead, we were called to be a part of something bigger. When you gave your life to Christ, it was not just for you. Just as Sam talked about during his meditation, where we are called to share our message. And I I grabbed Sam on his way out, and I said, did you know what I was talking about? And he said, not a clue. And I said, that's a God thing. Because Sam pretty much mimicked my sermon. I'm going to plagiarize him. But it's just like, this is what God is calling us to do, to be a part of something. God never called for his people to just attend something. Let's flip the switch. That church is just Sunday morning. That church is a service. It's just an attendance. All that is required of me when I join a church is to just sit there. That's not what God called for us to do. But instead, God called for us to become a part of something. We are the church. This building, I've said it over and over, this building is not the church. You are the church. You are the church when you gather together in your homes. You are the church when you are out at the grocery store. You are the church when you are at work. You are called to be the church. You cannot say, I am a Christian, and then separate church from that. I don't believe that's possible. I believe Christian and church go hand in hand. Now, what I'm not trying to say through any of this is you are unsaved based on works that you do. This is not a salvation thing because I believe wholeheartedly salvation is only in what Christ has done. But I believe when you give your life to Christ, Christ is like, all right, suit up because I am about to call you to something so much greater. I've been reading a book. It's a miraculous thing that I've been reading a book. That doesn't happen. But I've been reading a book called Wild at Heart. And it's talking about what stirs inside of a man's heart. And so it's talking about all these things. And then the author, John Eldridge, he says, look at the typical man in a church today. What do they look like? And just think about that. If you were to think a typical man in a church today, what would they look like? His answer was bored. That they would just sit there, and here I am again, I'm about to sit through this. All right, I cannot wait to go home. I cannot wait to be alone. I cannot wait to just go do my own thing. And I think, man, if that's what the American church is looking like, we are missing the mark entirely. The same can be said about women. He was talking to men, but I believe the same thing can be said about women. 
All right, church is something I'm going to go to. Not something that we are called to be. But God called his people to be the church. He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Peter just made this confession of Jesus saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, this was not revealed to you by man, but by God. And then he says in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. The first use of the word church. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you feel like we're that powerful? We're not that powerful that God is that powerful, but that what God has instituted here is that powerful? Do you feel like when you said, God, I'm going to give my life to you, and then it's God saying, now become a part of a body, do you realize that the gates of hell should not be standing against it? Like, we should go around, and I uh, saw a shirt, I think, or something, and it was like, we should be going around kicking devil butt, I mean, just going around, like, stomping the devil, just, like, doing hardcore, like, devil-defeating stuff. Not individually. Yes, individually. But also, as the body of Christ. You joined an army when you gave your life over to Christ. (laughs) I almost made a remark. I'm going to bite my tongue on that one. It was going to be politically incorrect. Anyways, uh, see, I'm growing. But uh, (laughs) you joined an army. An army that's been called to action in the greatest battle there is. Not one to just sit beside, but one that is engaged in a war. And God says the gates of Hades should not, will not prevail against it. That's who we are called to be. And so this is what we're looking at. We're going to be going through God's word and seeing what is God calling us as his body here on 3150 Southwest Center Road. What is he calling us to be? But that's not our location. That's our gathering place. Our location is Southeast Kansas. Our location is wherever God calls us to go. And that's what we're starting with. We are called to go When you join the army of Christ, giving your life over to him, you become a part of that army with a mission. And we see it as the great commission, the great command. You have now been instituted. It's not like, wait a minute, I need more training. I need to be a Christian 15 years before I can share my story. I need to be a Christian so long. It is like, boom, you gave your life to Christ. You have a mission to share what Jesus has done to you. And in your life, you have been entrusted with a testimony. And this is not just a private, this is for me. Jesus did this for me and I don't have to share it with anybody else. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But instead, you're going to find that you are called to go out. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Sam read it. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So hold up. First off, we might be like, all right, Jesus, who are you to tell me to do this? Right there, verse 18, all authority has been given to Jesus. Who is Jesus to do that? He is the ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is higher than Trump. He is higher than uh, Netanyahu. He is higher than Kim Jong-un. He is the supreme authority. And he says, I have all authority. So you better listen to what I have to say. And he says, go. 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm not sending you alone. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to send you on this mission, but it's scary, God. Agreed? That's why I'm going with you. You're not alone. God doesn't say, go over there and I'm going to stay here. God says, I'm sending you, but I'm going with you. So follow me because I have all authority. This is the command of God. We are called to profess who Jesus is publicly to live a life publicly and to profess who Jesus is. I believe that when we truly grasp who Jesus is and the work that he has done in our life, then that's going to be the natural reaction to just share who Jesus is. I mean, I'm not afraid to share how amazing Chick-fil-A sauce is because I have experienced how great Chick-fil-A sauce is. So if I have experienced how great Jesus is, the Savior of the world, why would I not share that with everybody? Because I'm scared. Because nobody is really going to get smacked upside the head for saying how great Chick-fil-A sauce is, but you might experience trouble. Actually, Jesus promises it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome this world. And so Jesus says, yeah, it's going to lead you into difficulty. In Acts chapter 9, we see Peter, or not chapter 9, chapter 4. We see Peter and John who are preaching the name of Jesus. They are told by God to go fulfill this great commission. So they are preaching the name of Jesus in the synagogues. And the rulers are upset about it. So they arrest them. They bring them in and they beat them. They, they torture them. They, they discipline them. And then they tell them, now we're going to let you go. But only if you don't speak on this name anymore. You have to be quiet about it. It's offensive. And Peter and John respond in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, that's for you to judge. But we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like, you choose, government, if it's a freedom of ours to share the name of Jesus or not. That's your choice. You choose if that's right or wrong, but we're not going to stop. Do we believe it that much? Do we have that grasp of what Jesus has done that we're like, even if you tell me not to speak in this name, I can't help it. I'm going to still speak the name of Jesus. Are we that way about it? Because honestly, reality check for me right here. I always want to be like, hey, even if the government says you can't meet anymore, even if the government says that you can't speak on this anymore, I'm like, bring it on government. I like to speak a big speak. <laughs> I like to talk a big talk. But what about when it's not the government, but it's my neighbor who is like, hey, what do you know about Jesus? And it's like, uh, well, he, you know, I stumble over it. Do we all, I mean, a lot of us probably can relate to that, where it's like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Are we being faithful in these little things? Are we grasping who Jesus truly is? I love the way Jeremiah says it. And man, this is my prayer for me and for all of you. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, he says there is a fire burning inside my heart. And it's trying to shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. 
Jeremiah is like, man, if I try not even to talk about Jesus, it just comes out of me. Because that is what burns inside of me. I cannot quench it. And so I'm just going to let it out. It hurts me more not to speak of Jesus than to speak of his name and face the repercussions that society might think that I have to deserve. Can we say those words? That God, you're calling me to speak to this person about who you are, but I'm not gonna. So then I walk away. And I can find less pain in walking away than I would have in speaking the name of Jesus. Can we say that? Are we that way? And look throughout the entire Bible, from the beginning to the end, God commands us over and over to share who he is. Not just in action, but in word. Romans 10, Sam read this. Again, he stole my message. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Praise God for that. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so Paul, he's not writing to an individual. He is writing to the church in Rome, and he is saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That takes it out of my hands right there. I mean, yes, I am called to have this platform, but every single one of you that has said, I believe that Jesus is my Christ, has now been commissioned to preach the word. You have been called to go out and preach. Because how are they going to believe if they do not hear? And how are they going to hear if nobody says it to them? And here we have what I see 115 people this morning. We have 22,000 people in Cherokee County. I'm speaking to 115 and the few that are watching online. We are called to reach Southeast Kansas and beyond. How are they going to do that? I'm one man. It is not entrusted just to me. I am a part of it. But we all who have placed our faith in Christ have been commissioned to go and share the gospel. That's what preach means. To preach does not mean to stand up here and have a 45-minute sermon with maybe three points. To preach means to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Not from a stage up here, but in your daily public lives. To publicly profess who Christ is. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians the second time, he told them, he said, hey, you guys, not your pastor, but you guys making up the body of Christ, you represent Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, you are ambassadors for Christ. He throws himself in there and says, we, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. I am am an ambassador for Christ. We have all been called to represent Christ in our lives. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. We've got to flip that switch in our head. That it is more than that. It is what we are called to be. Because Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy, hey, you need to be ready to preach the word. Not just on Sunday morning. He says, preach the word in season and out of season. He says, preach the word. That is what we all are called to do, to preach the word. And can I tell you, this is a message to myself as well, but now is almost easier than ever to preach the word of Jesus, to share the hope of Jesus. I mean, I read a deal the other day that this generation, for the first time, is experiencing their mortality. I mean, you know, they thought, man, we're invincible. We're going to live to be 90, 100, maybe we'll hit 120 years old. And it's like, no, no, no. We got this virus that is taking people out left and right. And if it's not taking you out, it's definitely making you realize you're not invincible. And so people are thinking of death. And not to like hit on a grim subject or anything, but man, what greater hope do we have as Christians than to share that death is not the end? First, I think it's First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is saying, hey, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are to be pitied beyond all people. But he says that's not the case. But instead, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are to follow after. So we have a hope. So when the world is like, oh my goodness, isn't this virus scary? It's like, I mean, yeah, it's scary, but my hope is beyond the virus. When Paul said in 1 Corinthians later on, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, we sang it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Like that is the battle cry of Christians almost. Like I don't fear death because I have a life to live. But are we sharing that with other people? Because it, it should be easy for us. Because how many times do you hear the word COVID throughout the day? At work, ooh, COVID. I mean, COVID should be like the most taboo word of 2020, but it's the most used word of 2020. And so every time somebody says, ooh, COVID, we should be able to say, ooh, Jesus, he has conquered COVID, and I don't worry about it. Now, I don't want to get other people sick. I'm not going to go around like breathing on people and trying to spread it so that we all can meet Jesus earlier. I'm okay if I have to, but I'm not going to do that. But we should have a hope. We should have a hope beyond the government. Because again, that is a thing of turmoil right now. Where people are like, ooh, I don't know what's going to happen with the government. Like, what if they take our freedoms? God is on the throne. We should so be able to be like, all right, yes, I want my freedoms. But even if I don't have my freedom, God is on his throne. Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me. All right, Governor Kelly, President Trump, President maybe Biden, however it works out, Supreme Court, whoever you are, you're not my ruler. God is our ruler. We have an opportunity to share, and I'm not saying a smug one, Like, (laughs) you cowards. No, we do it in love and truth and grace, but we have the opportunity to share who Jesus is, that he is the hope that we have. So when we place our faith in Christ, we are called go and share the gospel. 
but we are also called go and live the gospel. We are called to have not just a profession of words, but a life of obedience as well. Not just a Sunday morning checklist thing, but a I am representing Christ in everything I do. When that coworker backstabs me, I'm called to represent Christ. When that virus hits me or whenever that sickness or that struggle comes, I'm a representative of Christ. When I have freedoms, I represent Christ. When I have uh, oppression, I represent Christ. We are called in our lives, represent Christ. There's the saying, always be prepared to preach a sermon and when necessary, use words. I think we should always be prepared to preach a sermon with our words and in our actions. It should be both. That we are called to live lives of obedience. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In the good times, in the bad times, when you're being cheated, when you're in a good relationship, whatever it is, in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. So we do a good job of coming here Sunday mornings and putting on this, I'm a holy person, and then leaving and revealing sometimes that actually I'm not a holy person. Like I have to be holy Sunday mornings, but then the rest of the time I don't have to be. Peter said, no, you're called to be holy in everything you do. So that means when the world looks at us and they say, this is the way the world is going, we should be set apart. That's what holy means, to be set apart from the world for God so that when people see how we handle our struggles, it is set apart from the world. When people see how we handle betrayal, it is set apart from the world. When people see how we handle conflict, how we handle all of these ways that the world is like, look out for number one, we're saying number one is Jesus. And so I'm going to live according to his word. James tells us in James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers, therefore deceiving yourself. And so James is saying, hey, what you read, you should be doing. What God tells you to do, he expects you to do it. There's this notion of, well, I can have faith and no obedience at all. And James actually later on goes on to say, that's a dead faith. That if you think, hey, I got this faith with no obedience to Christ, James is like, you should look again at your faith. You should look at, do I really grasp what Jesus is saying? Now again, it is not saying that I have to do these things to be saved. It is not that. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. And we're going to hit on that here in a minute. But we are called to have a testimony of living lives for Jesus. In your business dealings, in your personal relationships, in your closed doors, you live for Jesus. And the number one act of obedience that you do, right away, you say, God, I give my life over to you. The act that you do right after finding salvation in Jesus is you obey him. And he calls us, be obedient through baptism. Which honestly, if somebody were to be like, hey, what is baptism? Would you be able to give them an answer? I mean, like, honestly, I have struggled with that one for a long time. It's like, well, you get wet and you go under and you come up and that's what it is. 
would you really be able to explain to somebody, why should I be baptized? Could you? Because that's what God calls us to do. He says, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so God says, what I want for you to do is I want you to be set apart. And the first act of being set apart is to follow me in obedience through baptism. Which in America, we have nice heated baptistries. We have warm tanks. We have clean water. And we have fellow believers that spur us on. They encourage us. Think about going over into China and being baptized publicly in a river where what you're saying is, I identify with Christ. What you're saying is Jesus has come into my life, and so I'm going to identify with him through baptism. And there are soldiers waiting there saying that person is a Christian. Arrest them and possibly kill them. It's a big thing in other countries. It is almost, a lot of times, it could be a death sentence for you. But you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to follow Jesus in obedience. Boy, if you're willing to make that statement there, like you really have to consider the cost. Is this something I really am willing to do? If you can make that statement there, think of the statements you would be willing to make later on. It's like I'm living for Jesus because I already am willing to risk my life for him. I'm willing to go like Jesus. I believe so much you are the Christ that I'm going to possibly die right here. And if I come out of that water alive and I don't get arrested, I come out a new man. Because that's also what baptism represents. The change in your life. Dying to yourself. Being buried with Christ and then coming out of that water a new person. It's an outward expression of what God has already done in your life. It is not the saving act. Don't think that, well, I was baptized, so I'm saved. No, salvation comes from what Christ has done in your life, and then you follow in obedience through that. Because Jesus tells us in John 3, 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it requires us to be born again, meaning you have to die first. Meaning, you die to yourself. You die to your sinful desires, to your selfish pride, to it being about me. You die to all that. And then you raise again saying, God, my life is yours. I'm going to live for, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. When you gave your life over to Christ, you became a new creation. So therefore, you stop living in the life that you used to live, and you now live in a life for Christ. 5, 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners— I heard it said one time while we were still flipping God the finger. And it's like, whoa, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, that's what we were doing. While we were still doing that to God, Christ died for us. He's read your file. 
He knows everything about you that you don't want anybody else to know. And yet he said, I will die for that. He wants you. I love the way God speaks in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 5 where God is speaking to his people and he's speaking to Israel and he said, chapter two, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have been saved by grace. That's the only way. I heard it said the other day, the only contribution you make to your salvation is sin. That's the only contribution you've ever made to your salvation is giving God your sin, is committing the sin for God to have to come and save you. And God did it willingly. And so the Bible tells us that if we are a Christian, we are a part of the body of Christ. He says every part is equal, every part is different, every part has a different testimony, but at the same time, that testimony is the same. Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Do you believe in him or speak any more in his name? There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. Can we say that? If you're able to say, Jesus saved me, is that the next step where we truly are living lives that believe it that much, that Christ saved you? Have you truly grasped of hell shall not prevail against it? If we don't believe it, let's start. Like, let's go church. Like, I'm excited. Let's do this. Let's go marching. Let's go fighting. Let's change how we view this thing that we call church. It's not today. You're called to be the church, living a life of testimony in everything you do.